Mindfulness Mode 287. If you're healing, you could just let the body heal itself at its own natural rate. If you become mindful and you engage your own doctor within, now you heal much faster. Hey, Mindful Tribe, wherever you are, thanks for joining us today here on Mindfulness Mode. I'm Bruce Langford, host and creator of the podcast. If you're new, I appreciate the fact that you're here. If you have been here many times before, I appreciate you too. If you like the show, please subscribe. That helps tremendously. Please subscribe to the show. Thanks for leaving comments on the website as well, Mindfulness Mode. You can check out the show notes. Leave me a message. After you hear today's show, just go to that website, mindfulnessmode.com, and at the bottom of each episode, you can leave a comment. And I want to share with you a message I received a few days ago, which made my day. I'll have to tell you. My listener wrote, I just wanted to reach out and say thank you for your great podcast. One night after a stressful day at work, I wanted to take a hot bath to decompress and thought I'd search podcasts for something meditative to listen to. And this person said, I stumbled across your podcast. I loved it and I've been listening to them all from the beginning. Actually, I did sneak in a few of the most recent ones too. I think I'm currently on episode 76. I listen while I'm getting ready for work in the morning, while I'm doing dishes, cooking dinner, or on my commute. I love every single episode so far, and each has really made me pause and think about some big things in my life. And there is more, but I appreciate these kinds of comments so much. And this feedback, this was an email feedback from... Jera, thank you, Jera, so much for sharing that with us here on Mindfulness Mode. Today, do you know someone who experiences serious pain? Well, my guest today has a solution. And at the end of the episode, even offers you a way to get help and save some money. The interview is about pulsed electromagnetic field therapy, or PEMF. Sit back and relax as you learn and benefit from the knowledge shared in today's episode. Hey, Mindful Tribe, I have a very fascinating guest today, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. I'm going to tell you, I have Dr. William Pollock with me. Dr. Bill, are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm trying to. (laughs) Me too. And we just had a few little technical challenges, and that always gives me a challenge of making sure I'm in mindfulness mode too. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, I feel pretty calm. I feel pretty relaxed. But I want to share a little bit about you with our Mindful Tribe audience. Dr. William Pollock is a medical and holistic doctor who is considered to be the foremost authority on the use of pulsed electromagnetic field therapy and this is in north america he's he's known all over for this this area of study he's been trained in acupuncture homeopathy hypnosis and body work he is interested in holistic pain management so we've got a lot to talk about i'm fascinated with how you arrived here but first let's start at the basics what does mindfulness mean to you dr bill well, as um, 
as a holistic physician, starting my journey early, 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 um, I started doing meditation. Okay. And I studied all sorts of meditation traditions, Indian, Western mindfulness. And I realized early on for myself to be able to tune out now and then. So on a set basis, I used to actually do what, what I call Delta meditation. Okay, tell us about that. Yeah, because not, nobody talks about delta meditation. No, that, no, they don't. No, because most meditative states, most people who meditate are actually in alpha. And we could talk about the mind states. I'm sure you are aware of alpha, beta, theta, delta. Yes. Right, so what, most people who meditate are in alpha. Professional meditators, people who meditate a lot, go into theta. But almost nobody gets into delta. Because when you're in Delta, as in Theta, but when you're in Delta, you're probably asleep most of the time. And as in Theta, when you are truly in deeper Theta, you're not aware. You're asleep. Right. So in Delta, when you use brainwave stimulation, like we, we probably will talk about, you're actually stimulating the brain to dip down into the Delta level. And meditation in Delta is extraordinarily deep but you're fighting it all the time because you're fighting sleeping. You're trying to stay up in a, in a state of awareness during the meditative time. Right. This is fascinating. So do you do this then every day? No, I don't. I used to do it all the time. I used to go in my bathroom, the quietest place in the house and close the door and sit on the toilet, not with a lid down, but right. very uncomfortable position. And if you do that for an hour, you can't, it's hard to fall asleep. Okay, I see. So that's why you did it, because you didn't fall asleep. Because I, I was attempting not to fall asleep. So right, exactly. Stay awake and alert as much as possible. Okay. So again, you get more clarity, I think. You have deeper, deeper visions. I'm sure you've heard of the Monroe Institute. Yes, and And Alpha Sync. Yeah. Uh, well, basically, it's using the same concepts with sound and light stimulation and magnetic stimulation to bring the brain down into that delta level, to synchronize the brainwave frequencies down into delta. So what are the benefits that you personally experienced from this? Actually, one of the interesting things about delta is that when I, when I did the meditations in delta, I could always tell what kind of day it was going to be. Really? Not you just, mean, not just tell me, like the, what kind of a day for you? Well, for me, but even the people around me, or even international events, uh, national events, political events, if there was a storm, if you will, coming, I could tell it was going to be that kind of day. That's fascinating. So there'd be uplifting days, there'd be negative days. And you know those days, the configuration of the energy patterns, if you will, in the universe around you, we are, we are aware of them. Uh, sometimes they're, again, at a very subtle level, and we just sort of think it's us when it really isn't, it's really the environment around us. Because we are a collective consciousness, right? Rupert Sheldrake showed that. We're perceiving people on, other, on the other side of the planet. If there's a political storm in Mumbai, if, if uh, Muslims are raiding a hotel in Mumbai and killing a bunch of people, well, that, that energetic pattern that sets up there, that conflict that sets up there is actually perceived around the planet. The human brain is tuned to the planet. And we can get into that in a little bit. It's the same as the weather systems. If there's a storm in Sri Lanka, a lightning storm 
in Sri Lanka, that's perceived in North America within a second. And largely because the, the it's at low frequencies and those frequencies are in the ionosphere, which is a chamber. And it's a closed, it's a closed chamber. So it's basically an echo chamber. And the frequencies that happen are low enough that the wavelengths are extraordinarily long, 3,000 miles long. Mm -hmm. So you can see that a 3,000 mile wavelength from Sri Lanka will only take a second or two to get to North America. Right. Right. So again, that's the interconnectedness of the whole planet. And so are we more connected to the planet's people or to what's happening, say, weather-wise on the planet and that kind of thing? Well, probably for us, you know, we could say that it's mostly a, um, a survival mechanism that we know what's coming weather-wise. And animals can predict, you know, what, what the weather's going to be like or an earthquake's going to happen hours or even a day or so before it even actually happens. Yes, I've they're, heard that. Right? They're at a sensory level where they are in tune with the planet more than we are because we're talking now. We're not in tune with the planet when we're talking. Right. We're right? in tune with each other. At least we should be. And we, and we should be. When we're quieter, we can be. Right. But we can read each other. But we're not only reading um, our language, our, our verbal communication. We're also reading uh, body language. But we're also reading each other's brains. And there's a fascinating piece of information, again, most people are not aware of. We have actually actual magnetic material in our brains. Billions of particles per gram of brain tissue contains this particle called magnetite. So now, why do we have magnetite in our brains? So magnetite is, is basically a, a, let's say, a, a, a diode. So it's essentially a tuner. It's a crystal. And that crystal vibrates with whatever the influences come to that crystal. So if you take a tuning fork and you put a crystal next to a tuning fork, the crystal, if you put a, a, a measuring apparatus on the, on the crystal, you'll be able to see that the crystal's actually vibrating to the sound that you're um, emitting from the tuning fork. Well, the magnetite's basically the same thing. It's a tuning fork in itself. If you take one tuning fork and you put it next to another tuning fork, you strike one tuning fork, but not the other one, the other tuning fork will actually start to vibrate too. Yes, it will, yes. Right? Well, that magnetite has that purpose for us. So that means our brains are not only emitters, they're also tuners. And we have that much magnetite in our brain, we're, we're an open system. We just have to be quiet enough to listen to it. And I think a lot of us know that, but we just haven't heard the scientific explanation that you are giving us. That's right. Yeah, so this is really fascinating. I mean, so many of us know that, hey, I can pick up vibrations or I walk into a room or I'm around certain people and I, I feel the vibrations, I feel different. And that's kind of what you're describing, isn't it? It is. Um, do you know Rupert Sheldrake? I don't, no. Okay, there's a... Uh, he's a British um, psychologist who's done a lot of work with, in a sense, ESP. Okay. And he did experiments. These are these experiments are so scientifically valid. He actually had to drop off the zeros because people wouldn't believe the results. Oh. You know, like the p-value would be less than 0 0.05 or something. Well, he would actually have a, a trailer like five zeros point and five. So that's hugely scientifically valid. 
he took people and in an audience, they'd be listening to a lecture and he would have one person in the audience focusing on the back of the neck of somebody else in the audience that they didn't even know remote from them in, in the audience. And then he would time how long it would take them to look, to see who was looking at them. And he repeated that experiment over and over and over again. And it was completely replicable. Then he did the same thing with people in Australia and people in the UK. So we'd have people in the UK thinking about a person in Australia. Okay. And then they would call that person in Australia. And they said, I was just thinking about you. But they, had, they timed it so that you could actually, again, scientifically valid, they timed it. It was kind of blinded in a sense. So, again, we can perceive thought across huge distances because our brain waves are at such a low frequency. We're detecting that person looking at the back of our neck in an audience when we have a quiet moment. Well, I've experienced that many times, you know, been in a crowd and I would look at somebody and then they would immediately look at me because they appeared to know that I was looking at them. Exactly. And, you know, I've experienced that a lot. And I thought, well, you know, I wonder what that is. Is there some kind of scientific, you know, proof that that is something that, that we experience? And obviously it is. Yes. Now, you started out as a medical doctor, did you not? Yes, and how, how long did it take you to transition and why did you decide to transition into different kinds of, of work? Well, even before I went into medical school, I already had a, a sense that I needed to ha do a wider, have a wider vision of, of things. Right. And I went into medical school, like most doctors do, you go into medical school, um, not for the money, not for the prestige, not because your family members did it. You go into medicine most of the time because you want to be of service. You want to you want to actually be a healer. Before you learn the practice of medicine, before you learn the science of medicine, you're imbued with the idea of why you're going into medicine. Sure. Unfortunately, after 13 years of training, you become, in a sense, brainwashed. Yes. Into a system of thinking, of, of thinking, of judging, of learning, of processing, and, and then practicing but you forget why you went into medicine. Now, what you're doing with that knowledge that you gained over 13 years becomes more important, becomes paramount in your consciousness to why you went there in the first place. It takes eight to 10 years for most doctors to realize there's more to this than what I learned in medical school or residency or pre-med. And some doctors eventually get to a point where they actually become healers. They remember that it's about the healing. It's not about the art or the practice of it. And I've talked to quite a few of those people on my show. So it's interesting you say that. And I think ultimately that's why, why we're here is to be healers. So I learned this a long time ago in, my, in the practice of medicine that I, I was not doing well enough for my patients. I had several patients, and this is how I got into magnetic therapy and started studying acupuncture. I had one patient who died, not one of my patients, but another colleague of mine in my practice. His patient died, and we had two other admissions at that time uh, into the hospital who were admitted because of gastric bleeding. And I didn't know it at the time, but I, I said, this is stupid medicine. We know that ibuprofen has this harm for people, and yet this is the only tool we have other than opioids to treat pain. Well, I said, this is stupid medicine. So I said, well, there's got to be another way to treat pain. There's got to be another way to help people other than these medications. And as, as, I, as I thought about it, I said, well, what about the Chinese? 
you can't fool a billion Chinese for 3,000 years, right? With a yep. system of care that doesn't work. You know, the Chinese are not stupid. No, they're definitely not. <laughs> they're not very bright people, generally, but they're like the rest of us. You know, there are very bright people and they're average people and so on. But you can't, again, you can't have a tradition like this go on for 3,000 years without it being effective. So I started studying acupuncture. And as a result of acupuncture, I got into magnetic therapies because I could do some of the same things you could do with acupuncture with magnetic therapy and more. And that's where my journey on magnetic therapy began. But as along the way, I said, I need more tools. So that's where I started, started studying uh, um, nutrition and learned hypnosis, mind-body medicine and uh, body work, homeopathy. So I said, I want to expand my toolbox to as many other possible tools as, as I could. So if I saw a patient, I decreased the likelihood that I would need to send that person to, to a, a specialist who would usually not offer them enough anyway because they would normally resort to the typical medical things. And sometimes that's appropriate, but a huge part of the time I discovered it's not necessary. Most people have problems that are basically, let's say common. Most people's problems relate to the lack of mindfulness. Stress is a huge contributor to humanity's problems. It certainly is, for sure. And so you, you have all these tools, then you can basically apply whatever tool you need for that particular individual. And in, in my case, in my practice, most people don't want to do hypnosis. Most people don't want to do healing work. Most people don't want to do mindfulness. And why is that? It's what they're open to, what their family members say, what they've learned from peers, what they read. You know, there's a bunch of different factors. And so why are they interested in magnetic therapy if they're not interested in any of those other things? They aren't. They aren't. Okay. <laughs> they aren't. I have to introduce it to them and say, here's your options. And here's the, the good and the bad of all the options that we have. This is the one I recommend because of the following reasons. And then they have to decide whether they're going to spend the money for the magnetic therapy. And my approach to magnetic therapy is not to treat people in my practice. So I don't want you to do this. I want you to become independent and have your own self-care. Oh, I see. So my, my approach to patients is, is to tell them that I'm not your doctor. You're your doctor. You're your own doctor. Whatever I do, you have to adopt. You have to you know, bring into yourself. You have to take as, you, as your own, and then you're going to be able to take care of yourself. Because when right. you leave this office, you're on your own. That's a very different approach, isn't it, Dr. Bill? It's very different. And so basically, as you talk to the patient, you say, okay, well, I think this person would do really well with stress reduction, mindfulness, meditation. And so you talk about that. I have to have a sense of the person, whether I even introduce that topic or not. Of course, that makes sense. And so then again, you use whatever tools or that would be best for that person at that moment. They have some success with that. Then the next time you can introduce something else that you have success with that. The next time you can introduce them to something else. Some minds are willing to bend and, and stretch. And as we know, most people, most minds are not. Right, right. So electromagnetic therapy, has that been around for years and years and years or is it a relatively new idea? Well, it, it's actually been around in many forms since Cleopatra. Okay. And even before Cleopatra, Cleopatra used magnets, magnetic lo lodestones. Hippocrates used lo lodestones. 
uh, in um, Europe in the 1700s, they used magnets and they also used eels. Right. Right. I, the electrical fields that eels, eels produce. So it's been around for a long time in different forms, but it really got going as a significant study, if you will, in medicine in the 60s, primarily the 60s, 50s and 60s in Eastern Europe. And people say, well, why is that? And we say, well, the Eastern Europeans didn't have enough money for the drugs, oh. but they had lots of engineers. So they discovered electromagnetic solutions to, to health issues that, that didn't exist in the West. And the West is completely dominated by pharmacology and the chemistry and chemistry. So it takes a lot to get a doctor to think um, in terms of physics, that the body's a, as a physics apparatus. We are a bioelectromagnetic apparatus. We talked about magnetite. Our brains are radiating electromagnetic fields. And nothing stops a magnetic field except for metal. It doesn't even stop it. It just deflects it. Okay. So magnetic fields actually go right through the body completely. And as they pass through, they increase energy or charge in the body. That's called Faraday's law. Known back into the 80, 1800s. It was established in the 1800s. As you increase the magnetic field intensity, it interacts with all the ions and the electromagnetic functions of the body. And then, then creates activity in the body, which means basically it's creating energy. And that energy then is used by the body to heal itself. And is there a mindfulness element here, a, a way that we have to allow it to happen or else we're, we're not? Is there some kind of a way that you have to think about this as it's happening? Yeah, we, uh, instead of calling it mindfulness in medicine, we call it the placebo effect. Right. Right. But it is mindfulness. You're right. I think you, you definitely get more benefit if you engage the mind in your own healing. You're going to get better healing. Now, if I do surgery on you, if I cut your skin, if I cut your tissues, you got cut. It doesn't matter how, how mindful you are. You still got damage to those tissues. That's right. Or a good, obviously, but you got damage to those tissues. Now, if you're healing, you could just let the body heal itself at its own natural rate. If you become mindful and you engage your own doctor within, now you heal much faster. Right. So for magnetic field therapy, it doesn't matter whether you're a worm or a rat, or a mouse, a horse, or a human, you're going to heal at, at the rate that the physical body itself can heal. Can you bring in more tools to help that healing happen even better? You can't grow a garden in a swamp. No. So you have to you have to have the nutrition there to help to heal. You have to have the preferably the mindfulness to help you to heal, be in the right mindful state to, to heal better and faster, etc. But by itself, it could still work regardless. So there have been a lot of advances in electromagnetic therapy recently. Isn't that true in the last, in the last 20 years? Um, yes, more and more happens every year. Um, I have a book. I originally wrote a book uh, probably about 10 years ago with a collaborator with an MD, PhD from the Czech Republic who wrote his PhD on magnetic field therapy for healing. And we co cooperated on this book that was called um, 30 Years of Research and this was 20 years ago, 30 years of research in Eastern Europe. And they had done a ton of research. They had all, all kinds of studies already at that point documenting the value of magnetic fields. The science, I have over 30,000 abstracts on the biologic effects of magnetic fields. 
So there's a, there's, a, there's a large science. As a result of this and 25 years of my own experience, I wrote my book, Power Tools for Health, which summarizes a lot of this information and puts it into a more condensed form that's you know, more easily readable than trying to go out and you know, find and scatterplot different studies. And is this your most recent book, Dr. Bill? Yes. The, the other one, the Magnetic Fields in Eastern Europe book is uh, very technical, very highly summarized. So it's really not for the average person. Right. And Power Tools for Health is something that can be re read relatively easily by most people. And it's very well documented scientifically. I have 50 health conditions that I review, uh, a whole host of different mechanisms, how magnetic fields affect tissue and the body. So it's all summarized in that book. Well, I want to get my hands on that. That sounds excellent. And I'm a little disappointed I haven't read it already, but... Well, you haven't because it's not published. <laughs> oh, that's why I haven't, because I'm <laughs> sitting here thinking, why don't I know about this book? So uh, now I feel better, now, Dr. Bill. You that's can. great. You can, you can uh, be mindful and just relax. When, uh, when does this book come out? So I'm, I just finished reviewing the index yesterday. Um, so I'm hopeful it'll be published before uh, American Thanksgiving. Oh, so very That's soon great. in the next couple of months. That's great. Well, I'm I'm so next excited month. to next hear months. more about this, yeah. but I want to kind of change the direction for a moment. And I want to ask you a little bit about the topic of bullying, because I always do ask this question and it's, it's a passion with me because yeah. I truly believe that mindfulness can help people deal with this. Have you a story that you can share with us, Dr. Bill, about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference? Well, and I, I actually, when I heard that question right. in your other interviews, the interviews that I've listened to, and, you know, your discussion um, generally at the conference that we were at where I met you, um, in my experience, bullying has been an oh, issue I had no idea. all my life. And I'm <laughs> 70, 71 years old now. Um, sometimes I don't look like it. Sometimes I do. <laughs> But I've oh. always had bullying in my life. Um, I'm actually, uh, I was born in a refugee camp in Germany after the Second World War. Mm. And my, my parents spoke Ukrainian. Right. So we were, in a sense, bullied by the Germans when we lived in this camp because we were not German. Right. Then we emigrated to Canada. And again, my father had a very thick accent. And... Uh, so we were, in a sense, bullied, not physically, but emotionally, psychologically okay. bullied, because we were called DPs. That was a term used at the time. DP stands for displaced person. Uh -huh. Since my my family came from the Ukraine, at, because the Germans took them to Germany to work in the factories. But they couldn't go back to the Ukraine because of the communists. Right. So, but they couldn't stay in Germany. So they were essentially people without a country, like many refugees are. Moved right. to Canada. I was called a DP. I wore glasses. I was called four eyes. You know, all kinds of verbal abuse, if you will. So how do I deal with it? You go quiet. You can get angry. You can strike back. So you have that choice. But I was small. So it wasn't too often that I could strike back. So I had to learn how to take care of myself. And I said, why do I have glasses? Said, One of the reasons I got glasses is they wouldn't hit me in the face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sort of psychological defense mechanism. Right. Um, but 
even, I was in corporate medicine and I was bullied there. Doctors, a lot of doctors are bullies among other doctors. There's a lot of, there's a lot of sort of um, ranking that happens in medicine where you went to medical school, where you did your residency, whether you're a specialist or a general practitioner, et cetera, all that kind of stuff happens. Right. And you get looked down upon in many ways. Again, you have to learn to deal with this. And mindfulness is exactly what you said. Mindfulness is just being aware. This person has a problem. That I'm, I'm not going to go into this problem with them, but I'm just ex- going to accept this because I know who I am. I know what I am. I know where I'm going, what I'm going to do. And I'm not wrong. And they're not right, right? So I had that in corporate medicine. I had that in medicine. And you have it in your neighborhood. You have it on the streets. You know, bullying is everywhere. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. And I think that's actually a principle of life. We have to learn to deal with people who are always trying to impose themselves on us in all kinds of ways. For sure. That's life. So is a hawk a bully? That's a good question, isn't it? Because I suppose some would say, yes, definitely. And others would say, no, that's ridiculous. That's life. That's life. That's the way they are. Well, they have to. They have to eat, right? So they right. have to kill something. They're going to have to kill prey in order to be able to eat. Now, do they do they kill prey just for the sport of it? Of course not. No. And that's the difference. There are people who are bullies, clearly, who do it just for the sport. Yes. But it sounds like you've always dealt with it in a mindful way. Yes, accepting it, letting it try to roll off your back, not carrying it with you. Uh, It just happened. This is just part of life. Move on. Because you don't want something like that to slow you down from your own intention, from your own um, progress, if you will, and where where you want to go, your own path. And now with all your work in electromagnetic therapy, I can imagine, because it's a very specific area, that probably some bullying goes on in that, in that area as well. All the time. In fact, actually holistic medicine. Right. Um, some of my patients want me to call their doctors. And I say, I'm not going to call your doctor because I'm going to get this kind of nonsense back from the doctor. This is not good medicine. Where's the science on this? I show them the science and they still don't care. I had a Canadian doctor friend at the scientific, that book on uh, the Russian science, Eastern European science. Right. Um, doctors would say, well, where's the science? He would take the book and he'd drop it on the floor and it goes smack. Uh-huh. There's the science. Would they ever pick the book up? Would they ever read it? No, but that was the end of the discussion. Mm-hmm. So most doctors don't don't care. I was on Dr. Oz and Dr. Oz and and we dealt with that issue. Most doctors don't know, they don't care, and they don't want to know. Cuz actually that that means they have to work. They have to think. They have to be able to will they have to be willing to go against their peers who are part of a herd mentality in terms of what medicine is. Right. And many doctors don't embrace holistic ideas. No, no they don't at all. They're taught in a certain framework and a certain way of thinking. And if you're a specialist and you rely on the referrals from other primary care doctors to your specialty, you don't want to, you know, upset other doctors who are also referring to to you or your peers because doctors talk to each other. Of course. Right. So, yes, holistic medicine by itself. So I had to develop the armor a long time ago to be able to stay on my holistic path. 
to stay on my mindfulness meditation path, hypnosis, all these things that most doctors know nothing about. Well, I can I can imagine it must be challenging, but I have a couple of friends who experience a lot of pain on a day-to-day basis. Is there any way then that they can embrace this magnetic therapy without spending, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to fly somewhere or to, you know, get this kind of assistance? The most common use for pulse magnetic field therapy or PEMFs as we call it is uh magnetic therapy so magnetic therapy is used most the most commonly for pain and it does what i call three things that's three r's relief recovery and restore so relief is to actually relieve you of some of your pain some of your discomfort and that's what most medication is used for most medication and pain management is not used to heal the problem at all but the way you actually get rid of the pain is to heal the cause uh, that's not always possible, but as much as possible, you should try to heal the cause. If you strain a muscle, there's lots of inflammation in that muscle. That muscle is going to be constantly painful. So what do you do? Magnetic field therapy. I just had that problem with my thumb. Just flared up all of a sudden. And it's tendonitis and some arthritis. So I, right. have, I have my flex pulse machine, and I was using it basically 24-7. Battery operated, portable. I wrap it with an ace bandage or tensor bandage, as they say in Canada. Yes. All right. And just left it on for 24 hours. Did that for two or three days, and now it's essentially gone. So it's battery operated, and it's small enough that it can just, does it attach right to your thumb? Is that how that works? Well, there's a pad, there's a coil. Okay. The coil has to be what's attached to it, right next to the tissue that you're trying to treat. I see. And then it's got a lead, and that lead goes to a control unit, and that control unit can be put on a belt clip, on a belt, put in a pocket, and then you just go on about your business. Wow, wow. I'm fascinated in learning more. I want to just ask you five quick answer questions, if it's okay, because I, I just want to... They're very quick. 30-second answers will be great. The first one is this. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Kabat-Zinn. Oh, uh, yeah. John Kabat-Zinn. I actually took a trip to his clinic in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, the University of Medical, Massachusetts Medical School. I did a trip up there because I wanted to know what he was doing. I heard him speak at a conference on mindfulness and pain management. And he told us about his study that he did with, with pain management using mindfulness. So I said, I want to see this. I want to see how, it's hap- how it actually happens. And I spent an evening with his whole group. There were probably 50 people in a room who were, had pain, chronic pain. And they did mindfulness training, and it was amazing. You had this, the room was full of these people, and you couldn't hear a pin drop. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, rather. Right, right. Right? Uh, and I had a chance to talk to him. I read his book. His book that I read at the time is called Full Catastrophe Living. Yes. So Dr. Kabat-Zinn now has several books on mindfulness. He does. Yes, he does. Absolutely. And so this must have been several years ago when you went to Oh, it's like... T- 15, 20 years ago. Right. Yeah, I figured. Right after he came out with his full catastrophe living book. Right. Well, my next question is, how has mindfulness affected your emotions, Dr. Bill? I think for the most part, it stabilizes them. And what, you you know, if if you do mindfulness enough, again, you become aware. I have to say that I know that most doctors are not aware of the impact of what they say to patients. 
and how they present information to their patients. They're just not aware. They only want to present information. The information is more important than the presentation. So to me, being doing mindfulness makes me much more aware of what I think, what I say, how I react to other people. And so you basically stabilize yourself from an emotional perspective. You cannot ignore your emotions. That's sick too. That's not healthy. What we need to do is to recognize them and just let them get washed through us, understand the reason those emotions happened, and then so what, what, you can, what can you do the next time you face it? Right, right. I want to move on to my next question, Dr. Bill. It's this. How has breathing been a part of your mindfulness practice? Um, it's almost, well, to me, it's almost impossible to do mindfulness unless you breathe. So I used to teach meditation, in fact, as well. And the first thing you teach people is to do the breathing. What I found is the more often you do the breathing, you train the brain. You train your subconscious of your intention. I used to have to breathe for maybe five minutes, 10 minutes to quiet everything down. The more I did it, the more, um, the less time it took. I could do, now I can basically go into a meditative state with two breaths. Really? Just two breaths and you're there? Yes. It's incredible. Because you train yourself. Of course. Now, my next question is about the book, but you've already mentioned Full Catastrophe Living. Is that the book you would like to recommend that's related to mindfulness? Well, it is. Remember, now I'm a doctor. Yes. So I deal with a lot of pain problems, but I also deal with a lot of people who are under stress. And so if they read that book, they have a, re have a reason, medically speaking, to get away from their physical problems by using uh, mindfulness. And I love the story of Zorba the Greek. And I don't know who, how many people have seen Zorba the Greek, but that's a key element of, of his book. And that's why he called the book Full Catastrophe Living. That's how Zorba the Greek lived. Right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think that's a great place to start. And if you start with that premise, if you start with that basis, you say, well, here's, it's going to take care of a lot of problems in your life. Then you can move on to other, other books that teach you the different aspects and elements and processes of mindfulness. Right. And I was going to mention Power Tools for Health, which is your new book coming out. And I will put that in our show notes as well, because it sounds like that is going to be a, a terrific book to read on this topic. It's a key resource, yes. Yes. And do, can you recommend an app which helps you to be more mindful? Um, I don't usually personally resort to apps because... I can do two breaths and be in mindfulness. You don't need an app. So I don't, I don't need an app, but I do have, there is a stress app that I recommend to people. Um, let me just find it. Inner balance. Right. Have you heard of that one? I have heard of it. Yes. And there's also another one called stress check. Okay. So stress check actually gives you a number for your stress level. And then you can do mindfulness and recheck your stress level. So the app at least gives you an objective measure of what your stress is. Most of us, most people do not have a sense of their stress level. And I, I, I've learned over the years as well that very competent people are the most stressed because they are competent. And when you're competent, you know that you got to deal with this and you just deal with it. But what you do is you basically bury 
your feelings, you bury your yourself, if, if you will, in solving the problem. Right. So the stress check then becomes a valuable tool to re-educate you about what is actually happening in your body. Well, I think so many of us are going around pretending. We're pretending we don't feel what we feel. We're pretending we don't think what we think. And I, I think that's what mindfulness is all about, getting over that. Correct. But you really intrigued me with your mention of this flex pulse and your sore thumb. I'd like to hear more about that. Is that something that anybody can get their hands on? Yes. Um, you can buy it from one of two places. A resource for people who, since the book's not out yet, um, an important resource that is available now is my website, drpollock.com, D-R-P-A-W-L-U-K.com. So they've got a, a ton of information about magnetic fields, and there are a bunch of different devices at different prices uh, for almost anything. The reason I like the Flex Pulse is it has the utility of being able to tune the brain. So when you talk about magnetite in the brain, you can actually tune the brain by setting specific frequencies. So for example, if you're trying to relax and be mindful, there's a frequency in there that is a theta frequency, 7.83 hertz. There's another one that I use every night to sleep. I put it under my pillow, it's three hertz. So you can run it all night long to help you to, to sleep. But three hertz also relaxes you. I had a woman who was in the office who was extraordinarily anxious, one of the most anxious people that I've ever seen. She was fidgeting and just couldn't, couldn't sit down. It's very hard to actually have an interview with her because she was so anxious. Uh -huh. So I put the, a coil at the back of her neck, set the program on 7.83 hertz, which is theta. And I could see within 10 minutes, her stress level just completely dropped. You could physically see it in her demeanor. So she kept it on for the entire interview and she bought a machine at the end of the interview. She was so impressed. So what was your stress level when you first came in? She thought it was only seven. I thought it was 13 out of 10. Okay. <laughs> so she didn't even know what her own stress level was. So she was, she said seven and they said, what is it now? At the end of the interview, she said three. So she was very happy. That was a more than a 50% reduction in, in her stress level. That is incredible. Just tuning the back of the head. Before we went live on this recording, before I hit record, you mentioned that you had some sort of a discounted offer that you could make to our listeners. Yes. Um, so normally the retail price on the Flex Pulse is $1,290 US. Okay. And to your listeners, they could get the device for a $300 discount. Wow. That's a huge discount. So that is a big discount. Yes. Go to flexpulse.com, the Flexpulse website. And when you go to buy the Flexpulse, put in MMP as your coupon code. And that stands for Mindfulness Mode Podcast. You will get $300 off the price of the Flexpulse. So that's a great offer, Mindful Tribe. I hope that you take advantage of this to help any of your pain difficulties. Now, one other option is they could call the 866 number or 877 number that's on the FlexPulse website, call and say that they listen to your show and they were given this offer of this discount. And the people who pick up the phone there will, will apply the discount. What a great offer for our listeners. I really appreciate that, Dr. Bill. My pleasure. I want to help as many people as possible. Absolutely. And tell me again, how can we connect with you and learn more about what you do? I know you mentioned your website. Let's mention that again. And if there's any other way we can connect with you. 
Uh, so the website is, you know, we mentioned drpollock.com. If anybody has any questions, they could email info at drpollock.com. Oh, perfect. And it's P-A-W-L-U-K. Correct. drpollock.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I feel like we could talk and talk and talk for much longer, but it's been really exciting. And if like for any of my friends or any of our listeners today who have pain, this sounds like an, uh, an incredible solution. But uh, I just want to thank you so much for being here and sharing the word. Thank you for inviting me and having me on your uh, podcast. I appreciate it very much. I also very much appreciate the work you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Not too many people would take on this topic. <laughs> thank you, Dr. Publicly, Bill. at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. Bye now. Thank you. Have a great day. Okay, you too. Bye, Bruce. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And like I mentioned at the beginning, would you please leave a little comment at the bottom of this show or maybe one of the others you've listened to? Just go to mindfulnessmode.com and at the bottom of each episode, it gives you a chance to leave a comment. So I would, I would very much appreciate that. Thank you. I will give a shout out to you regarding that comment on an upcoming episode. Thanks a lot. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever. Hit subscribe and share. Subscribing and sharing helps keep Mindfulness Mode on the air. Subscribe and share, share, share. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>